Hey there, everybody. Thank you for joining the latest Bleeding Claret and Cobalt. Today's episode, the television play-by-play voice, David James, joins me, Trey Fitzgerald, and producer Ryan Hale today. And Ryan, DJ has been a longtime local Salt Lake slash Utah uh, media personality. He's routinely awarded. We get into that a little bit. Uh, with some recognition due to his dual television and radio role, has been the play-by-play voice of RSL for, I want to say, the last six slash maybe seven years since the club went back to uh, KUTV slash KMYU. But uh, we get into some very big modern-day media technology philosophy issues with DJ we also talk about a lot of memories uh, from the early days. Even uh, he tells a few stories about chatting with Dave Checkets before RSL was even a thing, just kind of uh, teeing up that maybe soccer was on its way to Salt Lake City. The roots of uh, this club's outreach, public outreach, uh, actually laid in a U.S. women's national team game at Rice-Eccles in 2003, which I had forgotten about it was fun to kind of listen to to david go down memory lane in in so many ways you know there were a lot of local media back in the early days 05 06 07 even until we moved in the stadium even after we moved in the stadium there were people that felt like that building was going to be an albatross around sandy's neck and that you know the league wasn't going to last and honestly like in the early days 04 when the team was announced 05 the first season there weren't too many players that were generally known. I'm sure the fan base had a wider uh, base, a, a bigger base, a wider range of context and knowledge for Major League Soccer, even than the local media did for the most part. So we talk about uh, some of the media members that were extremely harsh critics of RSL, um, harsh critics of, of thinking that uh, soccer was even going to make it, and then uh, and how that tide turned due to uh, some random events in the early days. And, and and part of it, Ryan, honestly, was just this club kept showing up every day. Despite the losses, despite the political setbacks, we get into some of that around the stadium uh, placement issues, as we do, um, as we have done with some of our other recent guests, we do talk about how fans, media, how we all consume information and, and social uh, media, technology, streaming versus linear television. Uh, these are all things that will go into how the club positions itself down the road in terms of sponsorship, fan connection, uh, information, uh, etc. So it's a fascinating conversation. It is long. Um, it may end up being a, a two-parter. So uh, we'll delineate that that for you as it, as it, as it emerges, but uh, enjoy this conversation. And uh, as we leave DJ at the end, uh, we tease upcoming episodes because we know uh, DJ as a as a longtime radio guy with a lot of opinions and a lot of historical context with different leagues and different sports. Uh, he's seen a lot. He's done a lot, and. Um, and we're certainly going to have him on again and again as we get into the 2021 Major League Soccer season. But without any further ado, here is the play-by-play television voice 
of Real Salt Lake, David James. All right, bleeding Clara and Cobalt proudly welcomes David DJ James, the voice of RSL, longtime Utah sports media icon figure, per, perennial Utah broadcaster of the year. Thank you for being here, David. Thanks for inviting me. So, I'm in, baby. So where do we start? Um, Anywhere you want. Let's, let's start with your current assessment of RSL as it kind of turns the page here uh, with the impending sale of you know whoever the individual or the group is buying uh, from Deloitte. We do not know, but um, it's obviously an interesting juncture because we're going into a second COVID season. Yeah. Uh, we'll get into how that greatly affects MLS, I think, uniquely compared to other leagues. But... You do I have a very. Can't, I can't wait to hear that because it's jacking up every single league. Well, it so, is. But how's it jacking it up differently? A- MLS disproportionately relying on, I think, a on game, game day and attendance yeah. revenue. Um, but I guess what I want to start with you is, what is unique about this asset? And in a in a world where these assets don't become available very often, right. you do have incredible infrastructure built in the last five years under Deloitte's, Deloitte's stewardship. Um, there is an opportunity, I think, for RSL to recapture uh, local and regional relevance with a little bit of success on the field. Um, just a lot of kind of swirling factors that might... Um, have as many questions as they do answers right now uh, going into 2021. So I feel like we're on the verge of RSL 4.0. And I know at this point I should come on and I should have something really deep to say about uh, why it's going to be good and why I know. And But I, I think it's just in limbo. Until, we're realists here. Until you know who the owner is, you can't know where this is going. Right. Owners are so important. Growing up in San Diego – um, and then going to Santa Barbara for college, I saw my my fair share of bad sports teams um, with just flashes of good. Yeah. Um, and I had a f- good friend in Santa Barbara who's an L.A. sports fan, and I would complain about whenever we get into the back and forth, and he'd laugh, you know, Dodgers versus Padres or whatever, and I'd, I'd complain <laughs> about ownership, and he'd like, they always say that. So that's because you have great ownership, and you don't appreciate it. You take it for granted because the O'Malley's have owned the Dodgers forever. Yeah. You know, and she goes, well, and, and I said, and, and Jerry Buss is just awesome with the Lakers. You know, he just totally gets it. I said, you do complain about Frontier a little bit, and you know, guess which one hasn't won at all? Yeah. You know? And he's like, yeah, but you're the... And then I remember talking to him. <laughs> After uh, Fox owned the Dodgers for a while, I was like, mm. wow, you were right about the ownership thing. This sucks. It's like this is who they are, and it's not changing until they change. And they're not, they're a corporation. They're not changing, so they have to sell. Right. And like he was, you know, how did the Dodgers – I mean, they just won the World Series now, but how did they go 30 years, you know? Yeah. Ownership. Did the do- did Fox sell to Frank McCourt? Is that where I was think there so. There might have been somebody in between. I can't okay. remember. Yeah. Um, there might have been one other group in there. Uh, but yeah, they go through these owners and they don't, and then they get an owner who gets it. Well, why have they won the division for seven straight years? Yeah. You know, why have they been to 
with three World Series and one one. You know, it's very much the late 70s and early 80s for them. You're a Bronco fan. Yep. I know we're here to talk soccer and we're killing no, people. No, but, but the sports comparisons are apt. It's pertinent. You know? yeah. It really is pertinent. And, you know, the Broncos had great ownership. And Boland, just like Jerry Buss, he got it. I mean, Elliot, our good friend Elliot Fall, does mm-hmm. not believe me when I remind him that the Broncos have probably been the most consistently well-run organization until maybe five years ago. Yeah. Under Boland, they won more games than anybody else in the NFL for 30 years. It was a great run. Now, that's probably been eclipsed now even by the Patriots despite a down year. But uh, now Kraft is that guy, right? So... Um, and, but if you're not old enough, you don't remember what a bleeping joke the New England Patriots were. Well, they were laughable. It, Nobody it, talked about exactly. them or took them seriously. Once a decade, they stumbled into the playoffs. Yep. You know? um, Steve Grogan well, with the and, neck and roll. And what it's not even just age. Now, and we'll get into this over the course of the next little bit, but in the manner in which people consume media nowadays— there is no memory. There is no right. history. Yeah. People don't know what so, what was important five minutes ago, much less five decades ago. Okay, so instead of talking about all the other sports, which we know and we love and we revel, right. but like, and it's true. I mean, these storylines are true with the Broncos and, and the Dodgers and whoever else. But bring it to RSL and look at, and I said RSL 4.0, right? right? So RSL 1.0, there's going to be a team. Because Dave Checkets is going to will it into existence. And he has an audacious has, uh, right. vision. But it's you're yep. you're at Rice Eccles Stadium. You're uh, you don't have any facilities in the stadium. You're down at Trolley Corners by the radio station I worked at, so we would cross paths occasionally, right? So you've just got random yep. office space a couple miles away. You have nowhere to train. You know, you, your coach at the time is going all over the place looking for a field, and he's yep. asking me, how come every field here is <laughs> rutted or on a hillside or, you know, why? And I'm like, because there's too many people playing soccer on too little, too few patches of grass. Yeah, that's the problem. That's exactly right. Everything's overused, you know. And uh, then, then you got RSL 2.0. You have your own training. You got to drive down to Lehigh, but you've got it. Mm. Uh, you've got your own stadium, mm. and and it was different. And all the players said it was different. It felt different. Guys physically felt different because they were on grass all the time. They weren't on turf. Right. Talk to Dunny about training on turf. No, the first we year. talked about yeah the 120 practices on rice cycles. Oh, broke his body down. Yep. It just it was such just the no one step does it. Every step does. That was part of our master plan to turn him into a broadcaster. <laughs> oh, is that it? <laughs> we're going to wreck your playing career, but look what we're going to do for your broadcast career. And then you got Deloitte, RSL 3.0. Why is there an academy? Yep. Well, because Deloitte decided there was going to be an academy. This was the way to do it. And he saw it as part of a bigger land deal, and he saw the player pipeline. He saw the value of moving it from Arizona to Utah right. and, and bringing everybody together. And so... You can look at each one of these stages of RSL's development and say, well, it's because of A, who the owner was, and B, the owner's vision. So until we know who the next owner is and what their vision Mm -hmm. is, I could tell you what I'd do, you know, if I won the lottery. Wait, I already have (laughs) off the air. You've heard this. Uh, You know, the things, I think there's still a lot of untapped potential. There's a lot of things to be done. There's more revenue to go get, you know, in the stadium. Um, You know, Deloitte... um, you know, I, I think scheduling and bringing in international clubs is really interesting. Why do you bring them in? How do you bring them in? You know, does the league get everybody on board or at most everybody on board? Uh, there'll always be teams opting in and out because they've all got their own sure. 
needs, wishes, and desires. And and let's be honest, the big clubs want to play in certain markets. Yeah. You know, they'll they'll as they travel across across the country, they'll drop in on some flyover states. But they they're here for L.A. and New York and Boston and San Francisco and Seattle and Philadelphia. They they know what they're doing. What um, wow. I mean, there's a lot of places we can go. Anywhere um, you want. Let's go back to RSL 1.0 because okay. you you were here yeah. um, doing the the zone and uh, KUTV. Yeah. When you know July of 2004 is when uh, I came to Salt Lake for the first time, despite kind of growing up in the Southwest uh, with Don Garber, and we had a press conference with Dave Checkets and mm-hmm. announced up at Rice Eccles that hey, Major League Soccer's 12th team was going to call Utah home. Um, take me back to kind of those first six months. So the last six months of 2004. October of 04, we announced the name and the colors, Real Salt Lake, the Claret and Cobalt. What was your opinion, assessment of the ability for for Dave's vision and for MLS to be successful in Salt Lake City? Okay, so there were several things that were important that I didn't realize were important at the time. And then in retrospect, the first thing was there was, and you would probably know the date, I think there might have even been a photo in the RSL offices for a while, but at some point the U.S. women's national team came to play at Rice Eccles. It was pre RSL. Yeah, it was 03. It was 03. Okay. And it was it was roughly 18 months before RSL's and, first game. And I'm at work and it's uh great weather. I can't remember if it was spring or summer or what, but the weather was good, I remember. Mm. And they were they're touring. Um and I don't know if it was the 03 would have been a World Cup year, right? Yes. Yeah, so I don't know if it was leading touring up. I think it was a, it was Cup probably or, a tune up to the World or Cup or afterward, yeah. you know, to celebrate. But they didn't staff whoever promoted the game. I don't know how that got done, but they didn't staff the ticket sales well enough. And I remember a call coming into our newsroom, um, and it was somebody really pissed. And it was it, like it was going on. Like there were lines of people outside the stadium. Yeah, because there was advertising. something had, thousand people went there. were. Yeah, I think they announced, for some reason, the number 19,000 okay. sticks in my head. But whatever it was. But the point is they had like, I don't know, not nearly enough windows open. I don't remember what the number was, but it wasn't enough. And people in line, this is funny, cell phones were just becoming a thing. Yeah. And so people could call in line to our newsroom and complain and they had to get, and, and like, you guys want this? And we're staffed differently now than we were then. I remember looking at him going like, how do we do that? I got to do a half hour show tonight. We got stuff going on. I don't have, we don't have a sports photographer right. at this point like we do now, where we have multiple guys who could pick up a camera and run and shoot something at the drop of a hat. Um, and we have six people in the department now, and three of them could shoot like mm. like like that. You know, if there's a camera. Um, but back then, there's two of us. Yeah. And like we're we're swamped. Two guys doing a half hour show. Sure. We can't run across town. They sent news up there. It was a big deal. People were pissed. That was the first time, and I remember thinking. There's events, and then there's sustaining a team and sure. a season and a franchise. Yeah. But at least at the event level, soccer resonates, you know. And so, just quick aside that that women's national team mm-hmm. ticket purchase database yeah. was our first phone list that oh, we really? were yeah. that we used to try Prospect to get people to buy rate. season tickets. Yeah. yeah. So then the second thing is Dave was in town. And I don't remember why or how this happened, but there's a media availability with him. And I don't know 
that you were hired yet. I kind of think you weren't. Yeah. And so I talked to him and I know right where the interview was. It was a weird interview. It was across the street from the jazz arena to the north between like the Triad Center uh-huh. broadcast house where the evil yep. empire broadcasts <laughs> from. <laughs> Unless they pay me. I'm going to tell Tanya Vea you said t- that. She knows. She said it herself. <laughs> and if she'd said, Tanya Vea, if you don't know, is is the, uh, well, I don't know what her title is now. Uh, I think she's GM of GM KSL Television. vice president, yeah. gu- guru, legend, right. whatever. Um, but she started as an intern in the sports department at Channel wow, 2. Wow, I did not know that. Yes. I can still remember the day that she was... Um, Married to Jeremy Castro's high school teammate, and you know Jeremy. Who I do. Worked at Channel Two and then worked for the Jazz for a long time, and uh, and so she wanted to get into broadcasting and made that uh, you know called Jeremy and of course Leroy, her husband, who was Jeremy's yep. teammate, you know, and so this is going to be your intern on the weekend. Okay, this is what time code is. We watch the feeds. Here we go, and pretty quickly she was working on Take Two with Rod Decker, uh-huh. and. Uh, just, I mean, morning newscast, evening newscast, assistant news director, news director, out of it for a while. Wait, no, no compete probably. And then over, back when those were legal, yeah. uh, never moral, but sometimes legal, <laughs> never ethical. And then over to, okay, not never, but usually. And then uh, over to KSL. And so she's she's running the show. So Dave Check, it's media availability. He talks over. outside this arena. He talks about uh, another team coming to town. And, and I think, and I say media availability, but I, I don't even think there's a podium. I think yeah. we were standing on the sidewalk. Did Dave Allred set up that media availability? He may well he worked, have. He worked for RSL for a he, couple months. He, it wouldn't shock me at all if he did. I okay. always got along really well with yeah. Dave Allred. He was really nice to me when I moved to town. And the guy who started junior a, jazz and, yep. and then went over Long-time to- Long-time jazz yeah. PR guy. Yep. Probably worked for the club for like twenty years. Hmm. England trucking now, and the board uh, board chair of the Utah Food Bank. Okay. So I did not know that. Yeah, he's he's a, he's a good dude, and uh, he may well have set that up. And Dave talked about, yeah, I see another because Dave coming back to town. I didn't know Dave because when he ran the Jazz in the eighties, I wasn't here yet. Okay, but I certainly knew of him, and everyone else sure. spoke of him like, oh, Dave Chuckets, right? And so I'm interviewing him. Well, uh, is is Utah ever going to get a second team? And he looks at me like, I believe they will. <laughs> you know, and I'm thinking. At that time, I think there was more thought that there'd be hockey here than mm. that there would be um, soccer. I just it wasn't on it wasn't anyone else's vision and on their radar, you know. Well, and baseball was a big topic for the next expansion uh, professional team here. The problem when I got here, baseball and football is their stadiums are so expensive. Sure. And even now, when people bring that up, I'm like, did you see the fight over RSL Stadium? Yeah, we can get into that. Sure. Did you see the fight over RSL Stadium? That's a great. Point. And that was like over sixty or eighty million, something like that. Now, now that it was gonna... actually over thirty-five million dollars of of public infrastructure. Million. Okay, yeah. so over thirty-five million. Now multiply that times thirty. Yeah, or maybe get more. To a billion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the public isn't going to pay for that here, right? Right. Any more than my <clears throat> Charger fans are going to pay for it in San Diego. <laughs> but I digress. Um, so that was another thing, <clears throat> Dave. Clearly, looking back, I didn't know at the time, but looking back clearly had a sight set on Major League Soccer in Utah, mm-hmm. clearly. And I just, it was there between the lines, and I just couldn't read it. I had no, stand on the sidewalk that day, I had no idea. None. But when it when it did become apparent that it was going Our to be soccer here. news director jumped on it so much, and to be honest, I didn't like him. But to also be honest, I wasn't alone. So he was like, we're going to make a big deal out of this. And I just wanted to... 
just like, I mean, part of me is like, well, hey, Checkets knows the market. Sure. And, you know, he's he's running. I think he's already got the Blues at that point. He's already done the Rangers and Knicks things. Did he not have the Blues yet? Not the Blues yet. Okay. Yeah. So he'd done the Rangers and Knicks in Madison right. Square Garden. Right. He'd done the Jazz. You know, I knew about the game. And, and so, yeah, and, and there wasn't much else going on at that point. You, when you guys debuted, the Jazz were in a lull. Post-Stockton, I'm alone. Mm. The Williams-Boozer era hasn't taken off yet. Yeah. You know, so there's nothing else going on, and we should make a big deal out of it. But, man, our news director was out there. Yeah, we're going to go big. We're going to go, you know, all hands on deck. And as a, and I, you know, I'm still a lifelong soccer guy, but at that point, I had been working in soccer for 10 years. I understand your probably initial kind of resistance because ever since the World Cup in 94, Mm -hmm. everybody had been hearing that, oh, soccer's the next big greatest yeah, thing. Right. And there have been so many stops and starts and iterations and, and mostly failures. And even remember, Dave gets involved in MLS uh, two years after contraction, uh, probably longer, three years after the Tampa Bay and Miami mm-hmm. teams were absorbed by the league, contracted. Um, but the the World Cup was in, in 2002 in Korea that was very successful. And Dave was obviously yeah. driven by the 2002 Olympics here in Salt Lake as part of his motivation yeah. to buy. I, well, I was I was all in on that World Cup. There will never be anything better. I grew up 10 miles from the border. Yeah. If you know San Diego, Spring Valley, went to school in Bonita. Parents went to Sweetwater and National City. I mean, our whole family, our whole life have been right next to the border. So USA, beating Mexico, Mexico in the round of 16. Oh, I, I, got, yeah. I told my wife, the alarm's going to go off early tomorrow. <laughs> and I'm going to be up at, I don't know, 4 or whatever it was in the morning. I don't know. But I remember watching that game. I remember landing Donovan, the ball going down the side, landing down the middle, the cross, the header, his celebration, and me knowing I couldn't yell and wake up our kid who was like three at the time, mm. uh, and my wife, but it's like, yeah, there was nothing better. There was nothing so, better. And then I went to radio. It was <laughs> I was doing radio then, yeah. and I literally the game was over in time for me to wow, go to the show. Wow, that's awesome. it was a way early game. And I was lucky enough to be but, in Korea with with the U.S. team because seventeen of the twenty three players on that World Cup team were all MLS uh, either current or former players. Oh yeah, Bruce Arena obviously mm-hmm. a current uh, or former coach of. So there's strong MLS ties to the best yeah. U.S. national team World Cup performance. But anyway, but the debut, it was it, you got to know in the newsroom. It doesn't really reflect on you or soccer, sure. although your storyline is true, because in the newsroom you know there's this big event. A bunch of people who don't know anything about sports are now going to take charge of it. Okay, who knows how it's going to turn out right. on the air? And then week two, it's not even going to happen. They're not going to want to give me a camera. They're not going to give me any air time. Yeah, yeah, sure. You know what I mean? I know I've been through this drill. I know. I know how this but plays out. I guess out. when did you when did you actually see that RSL was gaining traction? So the because the Jazz are done and because I'm doing a Saturday night show and I need to fill it, and because that opening crowd did catch everybody's eye, it was into it, uh, you know, it was real, and there was a buzz about town, you know, mm-hmm. talking to people at that point. Uh, you know, my kid would have been in elementary school, so I'm seeing, and he got a volunteer in the classroom. I'm seeing kids wearing gear, okay. you know, and I'm thinking, what are we going to do for a show? This is summer of 05. There's nothing going on, yeah. right? What are we going to do for a show? So how about, um, well, we'll go up there, we'll do the highlights, and we'll run some post game. You know, we'll get John Ellinger after the game, mm-hmm. right? And then I was talking to you, and you said, well, we can bring a player over, and I thought, well, this will fill the show. Yeah. And then I saw the ratings the next day. 
wow. <laughs> People watch. That. All right, well, we're doing that again for the next home game. And you see the ratings next morning, you're mm-hmm. like, Okay, we're doing that for the next so, home game. And that and that gave you a different feeling than you had when we had the Jason Christ press conference or the Clint Mathis press conference or some of those things we did before we ever yeah. played a game. I'm, nothing against the clubs. Sure. No, of course. But And this is everybody. This is the You've Jazz. You've seen it a lot in Salt Lake, this right? Is, All these teams. This is Utah football and uh, BYU football. Like Management doesn't really like us. We're an expense. Mm. If they could do this without us, they would. And they are literally experimenting with AI fake anchors in China. It's going to happen. Remember Max Headroom when you were a kid? It's going to happen. Thanks for dating me. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Look it up, kids. YouTube. I'm sure Max is out there. We're, We're an expense. The reason that people pay anchors and TV people is because the audience wants to watch them. They feel like on some level... There's connection. There's yeah. a connection and they know them. And so always, if you're if you're just getting into broadcasting, you know, I would tell you, always listen to the audience. What do they, what do they want to know? What do they need to know? Two questions. Whenever you're doing a story or booking a guest, what do they want to know? What do they need to know? Clearly... The audience here wanted to know more about RSL, mm-hmm. and it didn't really wane until uh, you guys didn't win a lot. No, those first, <laughs> and we'll get no, into but, that. But. Yeah, but and so it was okay the first year because no one had any. But sure. then the the second, the second year. year was a little better. But the, the third team was year more was, competitive. The third year was way worse. Yeah, and so there was a lull there. But at the same time, the Jazz got good. And so now they're in the playoffs. Williams and Booz are hitting their stride. So if you're mm-hmm. booking a show every week, what am I going to put on this Saturday show or this Sunday show? What do people want to know? What do they need to know? Mm-hmm. Well, the Jazz are now a story. Because when, when an NBA team is bad, you know in February. You don't sure. need to talk more about the Jazz in March and April and May yeah. until you get to the draft in June. That's yeah. the next thing. But when they're good, and the Jazz had a conference, a team in the conference finals, well, that, that takes you to June 1st. Mm-hmm. Now, RSL can still be a deal in July. By August, football starts to become a thing, and by September it yeah. is a thing. Yeah, I mean, and it's changed now because media's changed, but yeah. I remember for the bulk of RSL's first 10 years, if RSL wasn't good— uh, the coverage really got hit yeah. Labor Day because college football was yep. was blowing back up and and you know we are in a market where Utah football has been consistently good BYU has been consistently good and the Jazz made the playoffs twenty one straight years at one point yeah and then they missed for three and then they made four and then they yeah. kind of bounced around and now they're you know now they're on another streak where. You know they're they're in the playoffs now, and this is going to be uh, what is this going to be? One, two, three, four. This will be their fifth straight year. Yeah. So I mean, was it? I'm going to throw my buddy Michael C. Lewis, who was our initial <laughs> beat writer, with the trib under the bus. But he, like, great guy, loved the game, loved covering the team. Did not think that RSL would see five I, years in this market. I couldn't believe that. I was standing there, half paying attention. And I can't remember if he was, I don't think he was there. I think you were repeating a conversation to somebody else. Something about you guys. Ryan Ryan Hatch is my other example of a prominent 2005 Mm -hmm. Salt Lake City media member who had no affinity towards soccer, Mm -hmm. did not understand why anybody thought it would be successful, 
But his boss at the time, Steve Johnson, had done a contract with me for the radio rights for The Zone. And so Ryan emerged as the play-by-play guy. Mm -hmm. And soccer got into his blood, under his skin. His daughter in Phoenix now plays for the RSL Girls Academy, Mm -hmm. um, the RSL Arizona Girls Academy down there. So, you know, he's another guy that kind of did a mea culpa probably around the minute that Dunny headed home that goal in the first game against Colorado in front of 20,000 plus. We all resent that goal, don't we? (laughs) And planted the flag both literally and And figuratively for RSL. Now you, I I know at one point you thought, well, my kid wants to go to the game. And and I remember it was the summer of 05, I, I went and sat in the stands with you and your son, who's now graduated college, at the time he was <laughs> probably eight or school. nine years old. Yeah. But two thirds of the way up the side of the Rice Eccles Stadium. Yeah, the three. Yeah. We just sat there. Yeah, it was a little, beautiful sunny little, day. His little buddy Lucas is there. I remember the and, game. And yeah. um, <laughs> you know, it's sort of like a similar experience I had uh, sitting with Governor Huntsman's family, and this was the game where Dunny got uh, grazed, and there was a big kind of scuffle between RSL and Chivas, but. I mean, I remember we put out pictures of Dunny getting uh, uh, cleat marks across his midriff, and uh, I think Clint got a red card because he retaliated against the guy that had done that to Dunny. Anyway, some of these stories, this is what we had to hang our hat on in 2005 when the team ended on a 0-14-2 run down the stretch when we were training on turf uh, 120 times. But anyway, when your son asks for tickets or you go to his classroom and you see kids wearing... RSL gear, were those the moments that you're like, okay, this thing may have a chance? Absolutely, that was a factor. And absolutely doing those Saturday night shows where it was RSL highlights, RSL tape postgame, RSL live Mm postgame. You were walking players over and, you know, yeah. I was talking to him for six minutes. Because you were doing live hits up at the up mm-hmm. at Rice Eccles. Yeah. You were Fox. Which, which oddly yeah. we can't do since we went digital. There's a delay. If you try to anchor a show live, oh. at that period we were getting very good. And I don't know why it took so long, but we were doing, I remember doing live shows after BYU basketball games sure. in the pit of the Marriott Center because the reception is very iffy. You're at the bottom of a concrete hole. If you know the layout down well, there, and so but you can see a monitor of, of technology actually hindering and not yes, and helping. yes, and I did not know that. I was not told that. I learned from the audience, not from our engineers. Oh. I'm a little bitter about that. Uh, you're behind on all the highlights. I'm like, I was not. Why are people griping all the time? A week later, you're behind on all the highlights, yeah. and finally, it's like, oh, I am behind on the highlights because and you're because you're a, not doing it on microwave or and whatever. The digital delay somehow, yeah. yeah. So when we went from analog to digital, that was a step hmm. back. But there was one year you were in the stadium and I did all the shows on Saturdays. I was down there uh, going live after games. I would watch the games. I actually bought season tickets and went with my son. I remember that. I re- yeah. When we moved into Rio Tinto. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 yeah, it was one year. And then uh, Dan Sheldon quit and moved to Oregon, and I got called in one day and told, hey, you're calling a soccer game Saturday. Next, next time you have Dunny on. <laughs> He's got a photo. Have you seen it? Of Dan Sheldon? Oh, no, no. <laughs> no, of him sitting in the Channel 2 conference room and we are calling a game off of off a big holding, monitor. He's got he's got three boys now who are all huge, but at this point he had one cradling. No way. Literally in the oh, arms. I, I haven't seen that. Yeah, and we're looking at the monitor, and he's he texted to me. He said, "Oh, we've come a long way." <laughs> well, it was funny because thinking about what we were going to talk about today, I remember. I mean, you Channel Two has had the RSL TV contract since probably fourteen. 
and you have called games in the bunker at the old Delta Center. Yeah. Um, you've called games in the Channel 2 conference room. You've called a lot of games live on the road. Mm-hmm. And now in a COVID environment, you're calling games essentially home or away from Rio Tinto Stadium. Have you ever had to do a game straight from the truck? No. Okay. No, I've never done a game just sitting in the truck. Yeah. I haven't but done that. anyway, obviously, you know, how the television product has presented um, the team, the sport, the game to a local audience, how do you see that continuing to evolve, not just in a COVID world, but as we cut cords and as we go um, into essentially a model that maybe baseball is propping up a cable model, but you know, who knows what the future brings? Uh, let me just freak you out by handing you a photo. Go ahead. Say it. Let bring the people in. Wow. I just found the photo of Dunny. It's a great picture of Dunny and little Shia. Yep. Literally Shia is probably a month old here. He's very tiny. And, uh, and there we are. And I'm younger and thinner. <laughs> yeah. No, it looks good, man. That's yeah. great. Uh, so, uh, okay. So the question, where is this going? Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ways it could go. I don't think it's going back out on the road. Hmm. I would like it to. I feel like it's a better broadcast. I 100%. feel like I know, I know more. I see more. There's no doubt. And, you know, doing the radio with PK, if he were sitting here, he'd tell you 100% people open up on the road. There's fewer people there. Yeah. It's more a conversation. You're not getting a quote for a story sure. or a tweet. Well, and this is my point. Like, right now, you hear the NBA announcers all the time talking about, I don't see the things I normally see right. when I'm in a building yep. and I see the athletes pregame. I see them, like you're talking about, in the hotel, on the bus, whatever, what the airport. What you learn about the other team to help the broadcast. Sure. You know, you're not just playing against an invisible opponent. I mean, coaches love to say that it doesn't matter who the opponent mm-hmm. is, except it does. You know, and you hear who's, you know, who's got issues, who's playing well, who's not, why, you know, tactically what to watch for in the game, even though deep down none of us know. Yeah. The whole thing, you know, the media knows and is going to leak. It's so overblown. I mean, if we knew that, we'd have a buddy in Vegas and we'd call. Well, it's funny. It doesn't work This is that the way. argument I used to have with coaches that wanted to close practices. I'm like, do you really think <laughs> these guys, God love them, that are standing on the sideline – are sophisticated enough to break down tactically what you're trying to do, even from from up high, much less field level. Like, no. But I agree. Sometimes I won those battles. Sometimes I didn't. I, I agree. The and, answer is and, no. And you know, like our our attitude towards our TV and English and Spanish radio broadcasters has always been: they're inside the ropes with us. We trust them. That this is one of our primary communication channels to the fans and you know this is why Dunny is the, I think the best at what he does is he educates informs and entertains and he yeah. hasn't become a caricature of himself like some others have he not only identifies a problem but provides a solution and you know I'm sure he's been critical to your growth as a as a play-by-play guy as well yeah he's been he's been really supportive I have to say he's given me some tips he's definitely has he been more supportive times. than fans on Twitter <laughs> Everybody's more supportive than Twitter. Twitter's not here to support. 
Oh, I remember when you could have a conversation on Twitter. I miss those days. <laughs> Jeez. Oh man. Uh that's a that, that's as old as Max Headroom practically yeah, right there. No, exactly. It's been away. It's been a while. So I, I don't think we're going back on the road. I you know, the NBA's not traveling now. Yeah. I think there's a decent chance that NBA radio guys aren't going back on the road. Mm. The T V might uh, they have some of the same issues we have. You know, literally when I'm calling games, we've had balls go out, and I don't know if it's a corner or a goal kick. Sure. And the producer will, and I, and I'm pausing, and producer, I mean, Ken Neal is yeah. a savant, basically. Sure. No, the audience doesn't know him, but he's really important to RSL broadcast, and he is excellent at his job, which is why that he sometimes misses games to work on the Olympics and the World Cup, because <laughs> he's excellent <laughs> right. at his job. Um and he's like, yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> we'll find out soon <laughs> enough. He'll say stuff like that to me in my head sure. during the game. Um, because it just depends on the feed we're taking, you know, yeah. how and how good are the folks on, you know, on the cameras for them. And yeah. do they show, is the flag up? I don't know. I can't see. I can't just turn and look, you know. Yeah, relying on that on that home uh, it's hit feed some is, are very good and or some a pool and, feed and that yeah. probably is the model that it's going to I know like the NBA has all their buildings wired together and mm-hmm. there's a there's a standard that they all have to you know try to live up to for each other and I think MLS will get to that point but it's, but, it's 10 players instead of 22 the the court's 30 sure. yards long no, not way, 120 exactly. so I mean it's different but you still there's stuff you can't see um, I mean, I've known Craig Bolojack forever, yeah. and he says, yeah, sometimes when you see the Jazz going on a run, you're taking a peek at the other coach, and you see if they're getting ready to make a sub. You can see mm-hmm. their body language like, I'm not worried, this is just a run that happens in a game, versus I'm worried the roof is falling. No. And he says, I can't look at the other coach now and read his body language because I can't see yeah. him, you know? so Sorry to get the back. Yeah. So, so where's this broadcasting going? Yeah. You know, maybe that NFL model where there's one broadcast. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think streaming is coming quickly. I, it still feels early to me. And I talked to people um, on the radio show with PK about college football rights because yeah. the Pac-12 just fired sure. their commissioner. And national guys say this will stay, college football, this next round of deals, will still stay on linear TV. It'll be over the air. It'll be on cable. Streaming will be available, yeah. but it's primarily a cable satellite deal. It is not a streaming deal yet. The market isn't there yet. But there's plenty of speculation that MLS might think the market is there, yeah, and that ESPN, sure. you know, wants to to do the whole but thing. It, but MLS is a unique animal because the internet and mm-hmm. alternative means now, including streaming, have always been where it had to go to feed uh, mm-hmm. the beast to to have uh, an equivalent, basically, of sports talk radio or water cooler talk or those things that drive fan connection, et cetera, et cetera. So. Um, I'm sure we'll get back into that momentarily. I still want to go back to when did you really feel like not only was RSL not in jeopardy of well of, of oh. leaving town. <laughs> you want me to tell a story? <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay. Uh, story time with David James. So <laughs> there's a moment where you're having a conversation with somebody. And you said, I can still see your head snapping around. And uh, 
and you said, and that's where Michael C. went under the bus. Um, Michael C. doesn't think we should get a stadium. He says we aren't going to be here in five years. Mm. And I turned and looked at you, and I was doing something else. I was a little distracted, and I think we were on the side of a training session okay. where I should have been analyzing tactics and selling them for 100 bucks to the other opponent, right. but I'm not savvy enough. <laughs> so I'm listening to you instead. But half paying attention, half watching the training session, I turned and say, if I had, I don't know what the team went for. Was it six or twelve million? Yeah, whatever. Seven, seven and a half million is what Dave paid. But they, there had been more expansion yeah. coming, or it was sure. worth more. Maybe it's yeah, fifteen. Toronto like 15. came in in 07. Yeah. So maybe it's fifteen. I said, if I had fifteen million, I'd buy the team right now. And your head just spun around like you did not expect that to come out of my mouth. I probably I was, didn't. I was a hundred percent serious. Like at this point, I've seen the ratings after Saturday night shows. I've seen the enthusiasm in the stands. I'm in my kids' schools and I'm seeing the jerseys. Even my wife, who doesn't care about sports, doesn't live and die with it, does it yeah. because we're into it. But she's the least of the and she's like, Nope, ours all matters. I see him around town, I see him at the grocery store, I see him at the bank, I see him when I'm talking to friends, I see him when I'm at the park. Does yeah, you know, they're they've registered. They've definitely registered. You know, she's a, a kid's game and our kid's out, so she's only half paying attention. She's going <laughs> to see our kid. <laughs> you know, and she'll, and she'll be looking at the people and she'll see, you know, what percentage are wearing stuff. And and she knows to, you know, like, oh, well, that's, uh, uh, you know, those that's on our cell jersey. That's, uh, you know, some foreign club. She probably can't, you know, tell you Manchester United from Manchester City. But, right. you know, so she knew. We, I mean, so we, I mean, we all knew. It, it, that's where it was going. Mm-hmm. And the stadium was probably the last chance that it would really not work out. Um, but I was in the newsroom, and, you know, there was a fight back and forth. Was it going to be downtown, which is where I thought it should be, and I still think it should be, but, you know, that one's flown the coop. What are you going to do? Um, there's a whole logic to that. The, the B should have been downtown. Yeah, and sure. the Grizzlies Arena, should have, we, all our assets should be yeah. downtown. That whole storyline that nothing happens in Utah. Well, if you walk out of your hotel, if you're here for a ski vacation or a convention, mm-hmm. you walk out of your hotel, when there's a jazz game downtown or sure. if there's a big concert downtown, even if there's shows, what they've done, I'm not a theater guy, but that kind of theater district yeah, sure. downtown. Yeah. Like when people are dressed up and going somewhere and I'm just out on a Saturday night to get a sandwich, but you see people moving around, right. you know, pre-pandemic, Feels, assuming we get back yeah, to that. Right. It's exciting. There's something going on. If you walk out of your hotel, and I've done this in Minnesota and Kansas City on the road, yeah. and downtown's dead. Yeah. It's dead. And so, But they don't have the stereotype, and Utah does. So if you're here for a convention, you're here for a ski trip, and you walk out and there's all these people going to a game, it doesn't matter if it's bees or jazz or grizzlies or RSL or a concert or theater. When there's people out moving around, there's an mm-hmm. energy. And we, we, we're medium-sized. We have some assets, but we've scattered them put one in Sandy, put one in West Valley. And I even talked to Larry Miller about this once, about like 1300 South for the bees. This isn't in a hotel going to walk down there yeah, or ride yeah. that. And he goes, no, probably not. I said, but you're a good neighbor. You're, you're the, you're the crossover. Sports is a crossover. You know, there are people who are, uh, who are not LDS, who are worried that downtown is going to end up Maybe not so much now because there's enough building the last five years, but it was going to end up as some like quiet seminary and the sidewalks were rolled up at four o'clock mm-hmm. in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And there are people who are LDS who are thinking, man, do we really need, it might have been before your time, but there was a thing about, I think, the Dead Goat Saloon and dancers and poles mm-hmm. like, basically within a block of the temple. Okay. It was a big thing. You Actually, know? I, like, I vaguely do yeah, recall and nobody, this. It's, it doesn't matter if yeah. it's the LDS church or the Vatican or the Western right. Wall. I mean, it, it, Nobody wants that across from the religious headquarters. Sure. Sports is a common ground. If you come here, it's a great neighbor, 
Yeah. Right. There's nothing that the LDS church looks at jazz games and thinks, ah, you know, and at the same time, if you're out of town from a convention and you go there, you stand in line, they sell beer till the end of the third quarter. It's no different than going to a San Francisco Giants game where they yeah. sell to the end of the seventh inning. Sure. It's normal. It's just crossover. So to spread our sports out, I thought was crazy, but I digress on the stadium. I knew you were going to make it because when the whole debate was going on and politicians without recreating it all, yeah. city, state, and then Dolan jumps in at the end, and yeah. he wants it after Peter Caroon and the county sure. didn't. Um, after I, after locker, Bramble enacted a one-year block of, of uh, RDA money for downtown. So I'm talking to Rod Decker and Brian Malahi in the sure. newsroom. And uh, I think it was Decker. I, I said, hey, what's going to happen with the What's the legislature going to do? Because <clears throat> pretty much they get what they want. Mm-hmm. So what's going to happen— um, with our cell statement, they're going to get the money. And Decker, classic Decker, that's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. <laughs> and and uh, Brian's like, yeah, it is, but they're going to get it. And I said, why do you say that? He goes, well, it's like there was a time when they were building a second freeway in Davis County. and mm. now, But that, then it was a big legacy deal. Legacy highway? Yeah. yeah. He said the, the legacy highway, <clears throat> and it wasn't going to happen, and there were lawsuits. He says, they wanted it. And the people who wanted it, they get what they want. And so there were lawsuits, and there were delays, and there were compromises, but they got it. Yeah. He says, that's how it's going to work out with this. There's going to be delays. There's going to be compromises. There's going to be posturing. In the end, they'll get it. Because the people, and, and Decker's like, Rod, it's a lot of money. He says, but Rod, they get what they want. And Decker goes, they do get what they want. You're right. I agree. And he turns and looks at me like it was the judge like pronouncing, yeah. and it shall happen. Well, luckily for RSL, John Huntsman was the guy who wanted it, and he got it done. But probably when you had that conversation, mm-hmm. it must have been... I imagine those two weeks in February of 2007 when it was extremely dark times. <laughs> right. And, and it looked like RSL was going to stand for Real St. Louis because by then Dave and his partners were owners yeah, the of blues. the Blues. And, uh, and it was, uh, I mean, it was dire. I, I remember going to work over at Trolley mm-hmm. every day in 07, just wondering, in February of 07, wondering if this was going to get done or not. And yeah. obviously it did, and thankfully it did. Um, I, I do, along those same lines, I do walk by occasionally when I'm downtown or drive by now the lot that is immediately south of the courthouse where mm-hmm. port call used to be, mm-hmm. and it's a lot that is immediately north of Little America, and immediately west of Grand America, and it's now literally the most well-manicured, well-landscaped parking lot in downtown Salt Lake City. And that was where Dave originally wanted to put the stadium. And you may have seen some of these renderings in 04 and 05 of a beautiful granite white stadium that said Real on it that matched the Grand America kind of look and feel and that lot was owned by, probably still is, owned by Earl Holding and his family. And at the time, Dave used to tell a great story of 96-year-old Earl Holding in his uh, you know, bedridden with his 75-year-old son next to him talking to Dave and Dave explaining the vision for what a downtown stadium could be and, and inevitably drawing comparisons to how he and Larry had gotten um, 
the Delta Center built on the other side of mm-hmm. downtown. And his, he's like, look, this will do for the southern edge of downtown what the Delta Center did for the western edge of downtown. And basically, Earl Holding told his son, I did not spend you know the last 50 years of my life amassing these uh, plots of land and putting the block together. to sell them off piecemeal. And here oh, we are. Really? Here we are 15 years later or whatever, 12 years later, and, you know, it's just a beautiful parking lot. But it's right. a shame. And um, So he really was committed to making to putting – he didn't know what big project, but a correct. big project in there. Yeah, I think he felt like and, – and, again, I, I guess looking back, I wouldn't expect uh, a, a – what is that, a nanogenarian or whatever a 90-year-old mm-hmm. is. To embrace soccer. To think that soccer was going to be successful. Because you remember, by the time we went from downtown, we looked at the Murray Project – Sandy emerged, as you said. Rocky came back around with the Fair Park. And, and again, uh, I mean, the list of politicians' names that I've for, now forgotten <laughs> who wanted to use RSL as yeah. a means for another end. And just soccer, it took me a while to realize, because I was just a sports PR guy, that we were just being used as the ball being kicked around for a million other um, agendas that all these mm-hmm. people had, whether they were from Utah County, because – a lot of the legislators were tired of downtown Salt Lake getting everything. And so yeah. that's why that sports complex that exists so well in Philadelphia or Denver or Kansas City, uh, Kansas City other places that, that we've traveled yeah. to that would be fantastic, just didn't happen, was that jealousy. But um, I- anyway, it was just a, the, the thing a about crazy that is time. That for people outside the state, Salt Lake versus Sandy or Draper no, or West Valley or Provo. It's meaningless. Yeah. It's like Utah's got this or Utah doesn't right. have this. Right. And so it needs to be by the airport downtown. But yeah, Rocky's not going to get this plum. Yeah, I remember that. Rocky wasn't very popular. Rocky, right. Rocky didn't spend any time trying to be popular. No. <laughs> so. No. And, and, and it's funny because when Deloitte uh, first emerged as a partner for Dave in late 09, if you Googled Deloitte's name, there hadn't been a lot of public uh, coverage of him and his real estate career. But the first thing that came up when you Googled his name was his uh, dust-up at the Capitol that was on video uh, between him and Rocky. And I, honestly, I don't even remember what it was about. What they had yeah. uh, kind of disagreed about. I'm sure it was it was probably zoning or, or something real estate related. But anyway... Um, where do you and I know we we started this conversation by talking about how how important ownership is and and until you see a type a certain type of owner and MLS certainly has probably out of the 26 owners you could divide them into probably three or four distinct groups you've got you've got kind of the newish guard of of guys that are willing to lose 10 or 20 million a year to put big name international players on the field, you still have some very old guard MLS original ten uh, families that do not believe in labor or uh, excessive costs, um, but they may be mired in NFL stadiums or um, you know a local situation that doesn't lend itself to revenue. There, there aren't that many teams mired in NFL stadiums. Who could you be talking about? Yeah. Um, people though who do deserve credit for keeping the league alive uh, pre RSL yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so I guess you know, I, 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 
and I joke about this, but I really do look at the world through claret and cobalt colored glasses. So maybe I'm more optimistic than most. And whether, you know, Ryan Smith has been rumored, there's mm-hmm. been other rumors. I heard Spencer Checkett's the other day say that there are still four interested parties. And, um, you know, I have no idea if any of that, you know, what's what's true and, and how real some of these people kicking the tires are. But Am I wrong in thinking that with the infrastructure that, that Deloitte has built that we've discussed, the opportunity to continue to be a big fish in a small pond from a relevant standpoint, you've got the World Cup coming to North America here in 2026. Uh, women's soccer obviously found a 10,000 fan a game foothold here. Um, if I'm, again, like you, I dream of winning the lottery and <laughs> buying this team and 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 yeah. and doing things that, the way that that my uh, very primordial brain thinks they should be done. I mean, what uh, the prospect of, and I don't know. Let's say the team's going for four hundred million because the Charlotte expansion fee was was three fifty. Um, you do have a compendium of assets here. When, when was the Charlotte fee? When was that? It You're... was 2019. It was the Tepper. And, and look, it would probably was inflated because Tepper take, takes over the Panthers. Mm-hmm. It was obviously pre-COVID. So COVID and, and um, likely the, the removal of the Royals might diminish the asset a little bit in the short term, I think, than what we thought in – late August, early September, whenever Deloitte announced he was going to sell the team. Um, You know, you've heard in MLS circles that Vegas or Phoenix or Tampa or wherever, you know, one of the next, which might be the last kind of wave of expansion, that those fees, the league wants those fees to go to $500 which sounds exorbitant, extravagant, but... Not if somebody it's, will pay it. It's only yeah, exactly, and and there are people apparently that got shut out of that Charlotte expansion round that aren't going to let cost be um, the impediment to getting a team going forward. Especially when we you look at the next ten years, you got to think once we emerge to normalcy from this COVID situation that the value of soccer and the media rights and the stadiums. And the just everything surrounding the game, all those revenue streams are only going to increase. I would think so, and I think that's true for all sports. Okay. I, I just think that is going to be true across sports. I don't think NFL and NBA teams are going backwards in value. I don't think MLS and uh, MLS teams are going back in value. It's just I, I think the arrow is up. Mm. You know, it'll, it'll change. It'll morph over time. I think the league's got to go forward. I can't imagine being an owner who would come in and want to be part of the old guard and keep a cap on mm-hmm. revenues. Um, I don't know when people are listening to this, so this is this may not age well. But you know, with the collective bargaining agreement, I wonder. <clears throat> I, I just wonder how much. I mean, it, everything comes down to politics. Everything's binary. Yeah. It's yes or no, right? Because at the end, you got to have a vote, right? right? But inside the Republican Party, you know, there's a couple groups, right? There's the Trumpers and the more moderates who aren't Trumpers. Inside the Democratic Party, there's the progressives and the more moderates, mm-hmm. right? And Biden's more moderate. But AOC is more progressive. And who's really got the... I just think inside ownership, I think there's some owners who are like, yeah, we'll pay him more money. I don't care. Do these guys realize that if they give me more money, I'm going to go buy better players and they're going to lose their jobs? But there's also inside ownership a group that's thinking, no, why would we give them more money? Mm. 
But inside the players, I suspect there's a group of players, especially if I were a young player, I think, on my way up, a young American player, I'd be thinking, yeah, let's fight for more money because I'm good. I'm getting better. I'll bet on myself. And you can kind of see these guys in RSL history. Um, <clears throat> guys who at one time didn't play and then they earn a spot sure. and they're valuable and they're not, they're, you know, they're not, they're not Jordan Morris. You know, they're not mm-hmm. going to make some move, but they are a good player who can help a team win. Right. And they are going to benefit if there's a bounce here. They will get another 20 or 50 or 75 grand, whatever it mm-hmm. is. Um, but I can I got to imagine there's some there's some MLS players who are just like, take what they're saying, man. Let's not price me out of the league. Yeah. I mean, there's more players coming in from South America and Europe all the time. And it's uh, people like to say it's a copycat league. People literally say that about every league. Yeah, sure. Because when you're losing, you look around at whoever's winning. It's a zero sum game. It's easy to identify. You're like, how are they winning? Everybody in the NFL wants to copy how Belichick handles the mm-hmm. salary cap. Uh, everybody in, in the NBA wants to copy how San Antonio uh, developed these young guys in house and kept this dynasty sure. going around a couple star players. Well, I think in MLS. Everybody's going to look and say, hey, do I want to copy the Atlanta model? They went out and got some pricey guys. They were pricey, but they still had upside. Right. It wasn't a pricey European at the end of his career. Right. Bring in a, a, a pricey person from somewhere in the Americas. And then they flipped them to Europe. And then flip them yep. for more money yep. and win along the way. Mm-hmm. And, come, and come out with more money to reinvest in the next player. I think there have got to be some who are looking at the academies thinking, we got to get up and running. We got to do what RSL's done. We got to do what Dallas has done. Um, you know, I think so. I think there's that model out there. Uh, so it's it's going to be a, a copycat league, and there are people who will benefit from that. And I think there's people on both sides who probably want to press the gas and go. People on both sides who want to hit the brakes. I, I don't know if you remember this. There was a, when was a, the la- there was a labor deal around 2014 or 15 mm-hmm. that cut cut yeah. pretty close. Yeah, they got it right close. at the end, yeah. and there was a photo taken of the of like 10 or 15 people who are in the negotiating team mm. and i don't know if you remember this but i showed you the photo i said and the guy i don't know if he's bottom left or bottom right but there was a guy kind of on the edge of the group and everyone's beaming and this guy's scowling and he said <laughs> remember there's an accelerator and a break in every group that guy wanted to fight over the last yeah, penny sure. he was hoping to miss games and he started laughing yeah well, I think what's interesting about the current negotiation, and again, I don't really know anything, but the the one thing that is very different from all the previous is that there's been a very public stance by the league mm-hmm. um, with press releases, with conference calls, uh, with Q&As, all that kind of stuff. And then the union has responded more publicly than they've ever responded. I mean, Bob Foos has been the executive director of the union forever, uh, but I don't remember seeing his name or him holding conference calls and all that. So I guess my my belief, and I'm a little numb to it because, you know, we've all grown up, you know, seeing NFL labor negotiations be handled very publicly. Um, and the NFL, and we can get into their media philosophy since Pete Rozelle mm-hmm. invented NFL films and put right. put football on Monday nights. But um, they've always so. I guess my take is, I think we all have a lot of faith that there will not be um, a work stoppage or whatever because that the, maybe the sport is still too young to endure that. But the public nature of all these conversations and the back and forth and the saber rattling, to me, it's just kind of a sign of maturity for the sport in this country. I guess it could be as long as it doesn't. As long as it's not the start of a transition to a real hostile. 
um, confrontational mm. grudge holding what baseball has <laughs> what baseball yeah. has you know there there needs to be some recognition in sports that we've all got it good okay mm-hmm. and now the NFL has it better than MLS you know right the NFL is better than the NBA and the NBA sure. has it better than MLS but MLS has it better than the USL but really how about big dev does big dev have it bad he's playing soccer no. in New Mexico he's got roots there he's got family and friends there this is a good gig. And they get 13,000 fans a game. How do we all grow this together? Yeah. So to the degree that we saw basketball really got lauded for having a partnership. Now, the difference is because it's the top league in the world, the best players are there and they stay there. So you can build a long-term relationship. If you're in the U.S. and whatever you think of Major League Soccer, if you love it or you hate it, if you rank it as the 8th or 18th or 28th best league, I don't care. The players are, to a degree, coming and going. Well, it's a, a core? it's a global marketplace. Right. It's a global yeah. marketplace. And so players are going to come and go. But is there a core of players where the league office and a core of owners can build trust with them and say, we're already doing great. Now, if we just keep this thing on track, mm-hmm. how do we just take it to the next level? Because to the point you brought up earlier, you know, do I think there's another level? I believe there's another level when the sure. league is at 15 million. And to, to me, the answer is yes. You know, we're going to keep creating billionaires in this country apparently income inequality is Mm -hmm. a thing it's real right i mean we can literally measure what the the growth for people who are making 10 20 dollars an hour and the growth for people who own companies and how the wall street value is multiplying Mm -hmm. so it's a math problem there are people at the top who are going to want to buy teams and invest in them because as kevin o'connor the former jazz gm once Mm -hmm. told me in a hallway at the bottom of the arena most billionaires are anonymous and it's fun to be in the public eye at the start. Mm. You might get yeah. tired of it, sure. but it's fun at the start. You know, Hopefully you're on the Mark Cuban curve. And it's real fun at the start, and then you kind of get, okay, i got to dial it back a little bit, right? But he still enjoys it. Yeah. And hopefully you do that as an owner. How do you, how do you grow this? There are going to be people out there who have the money and want to help grow it, and who, whatever you think of the league, they're going to want to make it five spots better, and they're going to want to increase the payroll and bring in more mm-hmm. players. I just don't, I, I just don't think this thing's going backwards. Right. You know, now as we emerge from the pandemic, what are the long-term ramifications for how we interact in public? None of us know the answer. Sure. I hope we go back to what it was because now that we don't have it, we realize how much fun that was. Yeah, yeah. And I think we probably are, but you got to find someone way smarter than me to know, you know, maybe we'll just be more willing to wear masks. You know, if you, if you travel in Asia at all. Sure. If, uh, and, and we've got plenty of people who are returned missionaries who are in Japan or Korea or Taiwan. Mm-hmm. It's like at the first sign of a cold, you put on masks. Yeah. At the first sign. And maybe that's it. And we are going to get back to full arenas. Australia and New Zealand have. So if we get back to that, you know, how do you, how does a new owner come in, whoever it is, and make the stadium without building a new stadium, renovate it and generate more cash and bring in better players. And you've got an academy, flip the younger players. Not all the players grow up a dream of playing an MLS. Some want to go abroad. Mm. Embrace that. Sit down at the start and find out, you want to play in the U.S.? Do you want to go to college? Do you want to turn pro? Do you want to play in the U.S.? Do you want to play overseas? Mm-hmm. Do you want to be with the club for a while until you can go to a, a, you know, a country and a league that you recognize? Are you willing to go anywhere? Yeah. Are you willing to go to a third division club in Austria to jumpstart your career? Pablo Ooh. Ruiz. Boom. Andrew Brody. <laughs> Trey Fitzgerald. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have a you're, soft spot for that. You are the link. Endeavor. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, 
what is then, uh, I think, a realistic goal for 2021 based on what you've seen from Elliot and Freddie and, and RSL? You know, I really think it matters um, how guys emerge from this and, and everybody's story is different and you never know what's going on in someone's life until mm-hmm. you really know what's going on in someone's life. You know, the talent changed a little the last two seasons. You know, losing, I think losing Savarino, you can back and say, sure. wow, Jefferson, that was a big loss. You know, the the attack stalled. Um, but I think if the team two seasons ago teaches you anything, it's that um, you don't have to have the biggest payroll if you've got 11 guys rowing the boat in the same direction sure. at the same time. Yeah. And they really had it. And it had... And, uh, it had something to do with the coaching change, which could have been a huge negative, mm. but turned out to be a positive. Mm-hmm. And maybe the team really needed the change in personality styles Yeah, um, with Pecky leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, and you didn't have that this year, and you had COVID, and yeah, it was a lot just— of stops and starts. Yeah, and... it got funky. They did not have the same mojo, mm-hmm. you know? And so how much of the fallen standings was, uh, A, the talent wasn't as good— um, especially up top, top, just taking Savarino out sure. alone. Um, B, how much was the mojo with everything going on? And then um, how much is the league getting better? Every year, this is a league you got to look at differently if you follow other sports sure. leagues. This league, the talent keeps getting better. So you have to get a little better just to stay in place. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is, it's not that many points. It's not, I mean, if you swing five to ten goals, either conceded or scored, yeah. you know, like three or four goals scored, sure. three or four goals conceded, you can move a team, not from the top spot, but from third or fourth to ninth, tenth, or eleventh. Mm. It, it, it's such a fine line. It's such a fine line. So without knowing all that stuff, I can't tell you if they made enough moves sure. and put enough juice into the attack. There's a few more goals. Defensively, they're not that far away. But now Herrera's made his yeah. his first start for the national team. Uh, is he going to move overseas? I would guess probably that's more likely than not off all the rumblings you hear. When yeah. in a COVID world? When and for how much? No idea. Yeah. No idea. <laughs> you know, I mean... That, that, well, you've got a core, in my opinion, of... Um, Rusnak, who's going to play in the Euros if they happen. Demir, <laughs> like, Pablo, you're have to say Everton. Euro- Euros if they happen. Olympics yeah, if they no, happen. Exactly. Uh, Pablo, Everton, Albert, Demir, Glad, Silva, Herrera, Achoa. That's a pretty good spine slash core. And obviously, you know, they've gone out and signed Rubio, Rubin. We don't know. If he's a starter or reserve, there's other rumored attacking moves. I know, you know, Elliot's, uh, you know, they did trade Corey Baird. So you've got, you know, Jason, is he going to play more than 84 minutes? So there's a lot, I think, to build around and expect. I And I just, I mean, I'm an optimist, believe it or not, by nature. Um, sometimes don't give me that look. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm a perfectionist, too. So okay, sometimes, that, right, sometimes those two things don't, don't jive. But, um you know, if some of these rumored moves and some of the other things uh, that I expect Elliot and and his gang to have up their sleeve in terms of of adding around that group I just mentioned, and who knows when we're going to get to the point where you can have five thousand or ten thousand or or more at at Rio Tinto, but I think just having a season where you have thirty four games in a relative rhythm without you know 
the Orlando bubble, uh, and then Freddy, and then yeah. this segment of the season, and then this segment of the season. Uh, but you're you're right. I mean, Freddie, how he m- meshes with with Pablo Mastroeni. I mean, what what went through your mind? You were here for the Pablo versus Dave Checkets thing in 07. I mean, so a uh, that was spectacular. B <laughs> uh, it was just spectacular. Uh, B it just everything's really important in the moment. But what's really that important in the long run? I mean, there's a part of pro sports. You're, when you're a pro athlete, you're a little bit of a mercenary, you know? There's a, there's a classic scene in Moneyball. How many times you watch that movie? Only once, actually. Really? Yeah. Classic scene when you're taught how you have to trade a player. Don't whine, don't cry, just tell them how it is. They're pros. Mm. They know it's part of the deal. Yeah. You know? We traded you. Here's where you're going. You might want to know who's in the other deal. So-and-so's got your plane ticket. Like, don't, don't give them a bunch of drama yeah, and sob sure. story and some long soliloquy. That's not just tell them how it is. Just tell them how it is. So I think when you're, uh, you know, you're a pro athlete, that's how it was in 07. And now it's a different time and it's a different owner. And it is funny. We will all stop and have a good laugh, pull up some old video, pull up some old photos, tell a couple of stories. But, you know, you got to win. What have you done for me lately? Yeah. So... You come to a new club, what do you add? You know, what what perspective do you add? What knowledge do you add? What relationships can you improve? Um, I, I really think that um, it's become a model in the NBA and it needs to happen in Major League Soccer, and I hope the next owner embraces it. There needs to be, as much as RSL with the Academy is focused on development, you got to double down. you got to double down. you got to triple down. Well, it's, it's, it's trying to build this pipeline – while ha- operating on multiple parallel paths, right? Absolutely. Because, and this was one of the last things I wanted to get your thoughts on, because we've seen Dallas and New York and now Philadelphia probably most successfully take Academy kids, sell them overseas mm-hmm. for a relatively big number. Uh, we haven't seen that yet with RSL, but what we have seen is a roster for both the first team and the Monarchs that is peppered with guys that sure. came up through the Academy, got development uh, professional development opportunities at the USL level and are and that's while maybe it's not as sexy as a as a badge of honor as a 5 million or whatever transfer um in the long term and over the long run at least for that path it's 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 a it's a massive differentiator against what 26 other clubs offer i think uh i think going forward and in the academy i did a, a zoom thing with um with Elliot about this, that the academy is still relatively young. Sure. Even if the academy's been around for ten years, you know, if you were fourteen going into that, you're only twenty four. You yeah. got you got another decade of your pro career. Well, that's the really thing, right? Justin out. Glad, twenty three years old, just signs a new deal. He's played mm-hmm. one hundred sixty games. He's the longest tenured guy on the <laughs> roster. So I think that you have to uh, keep investing in the academy with the idea that one, you are producing players that will be in the starting eleven at Rio Tinto Stadium. And people will be, you know, chanting their name as they're introduced. But you also, and the fan base has to accept this, and maybe it's so foreign to U.S. sports fans, maybe like a college basketball, the one and one or two and done. You know, it's like, hey, you enjoy their talent while they're here, but they're going to move on, you know. And BYU football fans have to embrace that they lost their quarterback the draft a year early, but so what? You know, Alex Smith left early at the Utes. Yep. You know, you enjoy them all that here, and then they're gone. And you have to do that with academy players because it's a revenue stream for a club in a smaller market that 
you know, to flip guys. And I think everybody, everybody should be moved. Don't let play, don't develop academy players and walk them, let them walk uh, on a free transfer. If if you're, you know, if an RSL player can have that kind of impact on a third division in Austria, mm. there's a league somewhere and a club somewhere who wants that American athlete sure. if he's if he's highly skilled. You know, the whole argument that soccer will be big in this country when the best athletes play? No. The U.S. doesn't lose because of athleticism yeah, sure. in any competition in any level. You know, it's how much do you control the ball? What can you do? You know, yeah. when Messi's falling down and scrambling and somehow scoring and he's on one knee and he's, you know, bouncing and slithering around, it's like he literally touches the ball and he makes it do whatever he wants. Yeah. That's, you know, whereas an American, you know, there's an outstanding athlete at left or right back who gets forward, but the service comes in, and where's it really going? Yeah. You know, well, is it soccer truly is a sport where the the whole can be greater than the sum of its parts, mm-hmm. based on chemistry and so many other things. Okay, um, we're gonna let you go on this because we we ask everybody this: What are some of your standout RSL uh, memories, uh, either as a media member? Or just as a as a guy who observes what happens in sports in this market. Well, I mean, and then next beating, time you come back, we'll have you be commissioner for a day and fix okay. everything uh, the, in the league. I mean, beating the Galaxy to win a championship. Yeah, it do, in in Utah on this side of the country. I mean, you shouldn't even say in Utah on this side of the country. Whether it's the Dodgers yeah. or the Lakers, beat LA. or the USC Trojans, yeah. beat LA, UCLA basketball, USC football. Beat L.A. And the fact that they had a legendary international player and a legendary American player and RSL won, what a great script. (laughs) Would have only been better if it wasn't on a neutral field in Seattle, if it had been played in uh, either either quieting all the fans in L.A. and sending them home sad or even better, you know, Launching, just touching off an outrageous party in Utah sure. as the stadium, you know, erupted and, and crumbled beneath all the emotion. <laughs> um, I mean, how do you beat winning a championship? Um, but having said that, there are there are plenty of other big games and, and big moments. I don't know. Um, uh, ha- Javier, uh, Javier Morales had a couple goals. I think there's a free kick in Vancouver from like 35 mm-hmm. yards. Sure. I mean, how did he do that? Yeah. There was a night at home when Andy Williams hits a perfect free kick to complete a 6-0 route of yep. the Revs. Yep. And it's not that they were that great or the game was that big. The team was pretty good in that era. Well, the game was 0-0 at halftime. By and the way. then all of a sudden the dam breaks and he just turns and raises his arms yeah. and, and the place goes nuts. Well, spectacular. So, yeah, so there are those uh, – mo- and, I'm, I mean, I'm leaving some out. Uh, Beckerman, uh, U.S. national team, I think the game was in New Jersey and he scores a goal in a Gold Cup um, his one goal, I think it was his only goal, and he turned. And he was so happy coming back down, <laughs> running back down the field. He was so happy, and we had him in studio back when you could do that. Um, we had him in studio after that, talking about it. Played the goal, and I can still see him looking up at the monitor and smiling, like, admiring. And it's yeah, like, that's awesome. no matter how bitter and cynical you get as an adult, whether you're an athlete or a broadcaster or a banker or whatever, you know, there are moments that resonate because of what you thought when you were eight. And in that moment, that was just like, 
third or fifth grade Kyle Beckerman, yeah. I'm going to play for the U.S. and yeah. score. And he did it. Yeah. He did it. He got to the mountaintop, you know? Yeah, awesome. So looking at him in studio and realizing, like, for a moment, all the pretense, all the pro athlete is gone. And, and recess elementary school, Kyle Beckerman had a dream. That's awesome. And, he and the dream it. was fulfilled. And the dream was right there, and he's looking up at it on the monitor. That's awesome. I am on TV talking about me scoring for the U.S. men's national team while I watch it. It That's doesn't cool. get much better than this. Yeah. So, uh, you know, a handful of moments like that. Um, and then there's there's funny, goofy, crazy stuff that happened behind the scenes, but I don't know. That, we'll save those save for those a future for another, pod. Another time. Well, you got one of them. David. Dun, Dunny calling a that's game. That's right. That's holding, fantastic. Holding we got we to gotta put that picture out on social when, uh, when this episode comes out. Okay. So. David, thanks for your time. Look forward to having you on again, as I mentioned, right before uh, the season starts. Hopefully on or around April 3rd is is what MLS is uh, is projecting. So uh, looking forward to a great 2021. And, and DJ uh, will listen to you in the mornings on The Zone with uh, your buddy PK, our friend Jake Hatch, and then uh, we'll continue to catch you uh, nightly on KUTV. We'll do it. And uh, now that I know where uh, Podcast Center is located in your undisclosed location right. on the Wasatch Front, yep. hard to find this one. You're welcome uh, anytime. And, uh, again, as we return to normalcy, we'll look forward to uh, continuing uh, to get your takes on everything Claret and Cobalt. Well, thanks to any RSL fan who made it to the end of this episode. This rambling, <laughs> part one or part rollicking, two? <laughs> <laughs> mini detoured stream of consciousness episode. Ah, we love it. Thanks, DJ. Sure. All right, that's our show. Thanks for listening, as always, to Bleeding Claret and Cobalt, where we celebrate the past, present, and future of Real Salt Lake. If you want to connect with us, you can find us on Twitter or Instagram at Claret Cobalt. We are always up for banter, corrections, omissions, guest suggestions, RSL memories, or whatever. You can also use the message function at anchor.fm slash Claret and Cobalt. Or drop us a voice memo by email via rsltray at gmail.com. This show is produced independently by me, Trey Fitzgerald, and Mountaineer Media. We record at Mountaineer Studios in Draper, Utah. The views expressed here are our own and do not necessarily reflect the opinions or positions of Real Salt Lake. Get to know RSL from the inside out. Thank you for listening. Looking forward to talking to you soon. Yeah.